Hello and welcome to Startup Dads. I'm Amrit Santhirasanan, CEO of a high-grade startup, father to a young daughter. Join me as I speak to ultra-successful parent founders, venture capitalists and investors to take a look at the world through their eyes and uncover the lives, drives and strategies of parents and business. We're here to show you that you can grow a thriving business and happy family at the same time. Our guest this week is Paul Wickers, co-founder and CEO of Hug, a B2B gifting startup that's made it easy for you to reward employees, customers and clients with gifts they'll love. He's also a dad to four kids. This was a pretty raw episode which focuses on the realities and sacrifices that being a startup dad sometimes entails. You'll hear about how startups create a leveraged version of yourself and what that means for the highs and lows, learning to embrace a lack of mastery as a CEO and a crazy story about laptops in the labour room. As always, it's great to hear from you all, so do leave me a comment or send a DM on Twitter at Startup Dads Pod. Alternatively, reach me on LinkedIn at Amrit Santharasanan and I promise to get back to you. All right, let's get into the episode. I'm delighted to welcome Paul Wickers to the show. Paul, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. I'm good. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, you're very, very welcome. This is one I'm very, very excited to do. So, Paul, can you tell us a little bit about what makes you a startup dad? Give us some stories. Sure. Well, I guess a prerequisite of being a startup dad is being, in fact, a dad. And I have four, I actually have four children, which is a little unusual. But uh, my wife and I really wanted a, you know, quite a large family. You know, I've always just loved the thought of, of having children. And we we decided to just go for it in a really big way. I wouldn't change anything about that. It, it is exhausting. My wife is an absolute saint because she would say she has five children and she would be right. <laughs> now, we had, just to give some perspective on what that means for us, um, because I'm 40 years old. I don't look it. I look more like 50. Um, it's a founder life, isn't it? It's a founder, yeah. Founder I, years. I, exactly. I used to have a great hairline and now I don't have that and I have lots of grey hair and that's fine. So... I had a stressful job before this. You know, I only started a startup in my sort of mid late thirties, uh, rather than doing the whole drop out of university when you're eighteen thing. I I was the opposite. So I went into a corporate life straight out of university into banking, and I was a leveraged finance banker for thirteen, fourteen years. So I funded IPOs and buyouts and whatever, and that itself is very intensive, long hours, quite stressful. It's actually quite, it's like very male centric and very bit brotastic, quite a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, although by wonderful colleagues, I had a wonderful time doing that job, really enjoyed it, loved it in fact. But I'd always had this itch to start a business and had loads of business ideas like everybody has. And it is all about execution. But I very frequently would sort of have a business idea that then somebody else turned into a really great business and it is all about execution but it made me realize over time that maybe my ideas weren't all harebrained and then there was a family situation that we had where unfortunately my my father-in-law passed away earlier than he should have and it just made me realize that in the course of life you really only get one chance at life and I couldn't even though I had, at that point, I had three children and was married and we had a mortgage and, you know, all the normal life obligations. I just couldn't bear, I couldn't bear the concept of being sort of old one day, looking back at my life and wondering whether, you know, regretting the thing I didn't do rather than the thing that I did. So over the course of a period of time, 
I decided I had a business idea. I moved on it and got myself into a position where I just thought I'm going to have to go for it now. But what it actually meant for me financially was stepping away from, you know, stable career and also injecting our life savings into the company. But those life savings we were supposed to spend on a house renovation that we were a house build that we were doing which had been our like personal dream and we even had planning permission we had everything ready to go like builders oh, wow. everything you were ready to go ready to go and then just decided to do this instead and massively underestimated the impact it would have on us did have another child in that period of time afterwards post startup and that's how we ended up with uh being you know four so we're three at start now four and yeah that's it the rest is kind of history but it's a major juggle major juggle and and i've had to i now live with the regret in some ways that i am unfortunately missing some elements of my children's life that i wish i weren't so i will have traded one regret for another future regret i know that at this point in time one of the aims of this show is to talk about the harsh reality of this because i think startup law just focuses on the $100 billion exits and the glory in lots of times. No one talks about these sacrifices mm. that you have to make. And I really appreciate you, you kind of sharing that because I think, candidly, one of the things that, that we have the show for is to talk about the fact that you don't have time for all the things that you love, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not suggesting that you or I or any founder, dad or mum, loves their business more than their children, but you can love lots of things, right? Yeah. <laughs> and want to do lots of things. Yeah. The way I've described this before, and I think it's fairly accurate, is my wife and I have four children to look after, but I have an extra child that only I can look after. And what that means is very often is I end up looking after that one whilst my wife looks after the other four. I would rather be looking after the other four a lot of the time because they Can't ask your wife to do well, it. Well, they hug you back for a start. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> this one bites you back, but those four tend to hug me back. And and I probably could ask my wife to look after this one child and she'd probably do a better job of it than I do, frankly. I think that's the most accurate description I've I've come across is that it is like having a child insofar as it requires your full attention, otherwise it will die. Um it will fade, it will starve it will whatever it is like looking after a small child so my analogy is that it's just the child that i can that only i look after now i can't imagine what it would be like if you started a business as a couple or if you started a business as a solo parent i think that an even harder trade-off i think at that point surely than the one that i make but the one that i make at this moment in time is i have to give huge amounts of my time not to my children during the week and then have some rules for weekends and you know try and do the right thing in the evenings unless i've got some crazy busy period at work but it's it's a juggle for sure and i'd love to get into that more because i'm very similar to be honest with you i have to ration my time incredibly carefully in the week and then i try to really make the effort to make sure that i've got the work out of the way on the weekend so that it doesn't affect evie and sarah that by the time they've got up I've already done the hard yards. Can I can I rewind a little bit? Because one of the things that I'm fascinated to ask you about is how your life was. You you know you had three kids before you took the plunge. 
Yeah. And you said something about how it changed the cadence completely in a way you weren't prepared for. Yeah. You have preconceptions about how things are going to be, and then you have the reality. Yeah. So could I ask you maybe just to reflect on that a little bit for us? Yeah. So the job that I had before was would ebb and flow with the deal flow because it was a job funding mergers and acquisitions activity, which meant that you were in some phase of an M&A activity. A transaction at any one moment in time and if you're only in the early phases your hours would be less problematic and if you're in the later phases your hours were almost entirely dictated by the schedule of the deal itself so I was used to ebb and flow I was used to being up all night I was used to being up at three o'clock in the morning writing financial models mm. um, I was used to being in London I was used to being on trains all of the time so I felt like I was probably well primed for a life of graft what I hadn't quite appreciated when it's not your business ultimately in every situation even if you're a deal manager on something there is some element of it's not a hundred percent on me because I'm working for an institution that employs me and ultimately what is on the line is their gain. When it's a startup, it's not just you. If you have a team, it's also their livelihood. Mm. It's the investor's yeah. money. So you have a weight of lots of people's expectations, finances, mm. uh, personal, uh, you know, professional, personal, professional advancement, everything is on your shoulders. And the difference with it is the residue that that leaves on you is constant, such that the thing you think about as soon as you wake up is that the thing you're thinking about when I'm sat there and somebody's, you know, like just speak, speaking very honestly, there'll be lots of moments where a child, one of my children is trying to get my attention, literally tugging on my arm and I'm not noticing because of the thing that I'm mulling over in my head or reading on my screen or whatever. To me, to past me, pre-understanding and being in this situation, it would be completely unacceptable mm. way, way to be. But now I, I, I just can't really avoid it. There may be some things I can do that could avoid it, but I can't really avoid it because I'm in this situation now and I do feel like I'm very much in it and living it. And the only exit is the successful one. Um, you know, however you describe success in this situation. But the, the 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 thing I can't do is just let my position fade because the life savings are in it. My reputation's in it. My professional everything is in it. And frankly, my family's future comfort, yeah, I believe, is in it. Yeah. So it's not just for me, it's for them too. But there are definitely moments where I'm giving attention to something that is not a part of me in the like in the physical sense. And that's it, it is upsetting. I will look back on this and I'll know at some point and I'll I won't regret it. I will think I wish I could have somehow found better balance at times. Yeah. Most of the founders I talk to on the show say do as I say, not as I do in some way, shape or form, right? Yeah. I think because the reality of the situation is, I think it can, it's extraordinarily difficult to explain to someone who doesn't do it 
And I hate being that guy, right? It's just, oh, you don't understand until you've done it. But it's extraordinarily difficult to explain to someone how it is just very difficult. And the examples you gave, I think, are actually the ones that are really useful for listeners who are thinking about setting up their own startup, you know, about the weight of your team. Yeah. People who have quit probably very lucrative, really great jobs to come and join you, you know, because they believe in your mission, they believe in your business and, you know, everything we read about Hug uh, online and things, there are a lot of people who really love and care for Hug, right? And you bear the weight of that in various ways. Yeah, you create something that's a leveraged version of yourself. That's a good You can use that to a lot of good, but it can tear you apart. When you're on one end of a lever, you can use it yourself to do something big on the other end, but something on the other end can use that position to whack you. So there are so many things that just cause a really big impact in you. And, you know, I, I feel great at the end of the day that's been great. And I feel terrible at the end of the day that's been terrible. And it's hugely peaky and trophy. Like, it's very difficult to separate yourself from your private self. I think overall, if you're thinking about doing this, just know that you will be currently in some way massively underestimating how much it's going to impact you massively underestimating the extent to which you can control it hugely underestimating how much cash it's going to cost you massively underestimating how long everything's going to take you know everything will be in the wrong direction i can guarantee it yeah yeah and i think you know you're still here you still want it i still want it it's the sort of thing that it doesn't mean that it's not going to feel tremendously worthwhile and fulfilling and all of those things but it is fucking hard right i think that's the reality of the situation It's very, very hard. And then the other thing that you'll tend to do, I have a huge problem with many forms of social media Mm. insofar as they are rose-tinted glasses versions of people's lives that make everyone else feel terrible about the state of their own lives because they can't see their own through the rose-tinted glasses. Now, unfortunately, that's what TechCrunch is if you're a founder. So if you, I know a lot of founders who just don't look at TechCrunch because it depresses them. And it's because the only things that you read in TechCrunch, well, 90 odd percent of it is massive success about this, that and the other, not (laughs) the horrendous process by which you got there, not the horrible abject failures, not the, you know, those times when you're frankly in bed at 4am, you can't get to sleep, you're crying, you've got two days of cash in the bank and payrolls tomorrow you know like Mm. that sort of situation that many founders i know have been in and there's 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 like a very narrow empathy group for that but once you find that empathy group you all realize that you've all been in the same boats you all have the same anxieties you've all had those same horrible moments and it can help to just not look at TechCrunch or sifted or wired or any of those um yeah and i think they make you feel terrible it's a really funny thing, isn't it? The impact that that has had, you know, Instagram, there's lots in the press at the moment, isn't there, about Instagram's impact on kids in particular. I don't know how old your eldest is and whether that you're sensitive to this. Are they at the age yet where you have to start worrying about that? My eldest is 10. Okay. So some of her friends have sort of started to enter that world and we've managed to hold her right back from it mm. precisely because of this problem. You can only teach your children to make their own choices for themselves. You can't wrap them in cotton wool and put them in your pocket forever. 
you can only teach them about the world you can only teach them about things and but it's so pervasive this this impact this effect is so pervasive it's um you know there's almost like a a pandemic a crisis of confidence self perception mental health it's a real pandemic in on of its own right we are getting to the point where our oldest will go to secondary school next year and it's going to open up a whole world of getting a sim card for the first time being exposed being online for the first time being out of sight for large periods of time and it's scary it's really terrifying. actually terrifying yeah particularly any of our friends of ours who have children who've gone through that they're already you know even the even the most diligent of those kids are still ending up in some yeah. situations that you don't want them to be in um so yeah it's but there's no there's no part of life that's more important than your children the other piece that i've that i'm finding as well is that my i i I don't know whether it's because of what I'm doing professionally but it seems to be making the years accelerate and so my children seem to be just growing up so quickly and I'm worried that the passage of time with me running this startup is going to have coincided with their younger years and I will feel a little bit like I've missed it but I have this image in my mind in the future of them having their own little ones and you know there being lots of them I like I want I hope all four have four or more sixteen and grandkids. Just have loads of grandchildren. Yeah, I want I want a ridiculously expensive Christmas every <laughs> year because it's because it just is. They're just such a massive privilege in life having the little kids that professionally sometimes I have to sit back and think, what I'm trying to do is really big here, but I've made a huge success of life already because I've got four lovely little kiddies and a beautiful wife. Yeah, I mean, one thing I'd say, and this is not counselling, but you do it really does come across in everything you write about how how much of a gift your family are to you. Um, mm. I mean, I want to ask you, maybe uh, to some extent, maybe that makes it slightly easier the sacrifice. I don't know if it does. I don't know what do you think. It definitely does. Like I have this transition point every weekend where on a Saturday morning I coach kids football all week. I'm surrounded by stress. And then on a Saturday morning, I'm surrounded by 30 to 40 kids. Who, <laughs> Which one's worse? Oh, no, it's much, it's just a delight. Um, like That sounds terrifying, the, 40 kids. Yeah, it's brilliant. I'm not on my own, by the way. There's a bunch of the other coaches there. But, um, you know, you've got them in a circle. And you're trying to get them to do their stretches properly. And they're faffing about. And they're not doing them properly. And, and it's just an absolute joy. The, the cracking jokes and the making Trump noises and, you know, and it's just, it's just such an antidote to my week that it's, it's like the way that I transition from weekday to weekend. Um, and it just, it just switches you right off. But there's just something like ridiculously innocent about kids that does that. Um, and there's, there's just like nothing better to surround yourself with than a whole load of happy, you know, healthy, smiling little kiddies on a football field. It's a lot of fun. Paul, one thing we've never explored on the show, which I've really wanted to, which is, I think, candidly, I certainly feel this after Evie was born, speaking really honestly, and I think you alluded to this, right? A key driver of success is incredibly patient spouses or partners or significant others. Oof, just a bit. <laughs> But quite frankly, I would probably work as much as is humanly possible in the absence of having my child. 
But now I can't. And actually, one of the things that I think motivates me is a future state where things are, quite frankly, less chaotic and there is more time and more space. And, you know, you, you touched on that a little bit earlier. Is that something you visualize and are working towards? Do you set yourself personal goals about, you know what, you know, 2023, Paul, is going to have just a little bit more space and time. And is that something that you do? Um, it's in two stages. The first of those is that right now we're at the seed stage, but going to our, towards our A stage, which is going to be Roughly speaking, the difference between having a 20-person team, and this will vary from business to business, we're about a 20-person team, we're still hiring, but it will mean we go from that to having a team of 100, 80, 100, something like that. The, the, the transition point between those two things is that instead of it being like a founder-led company with a team, it will become an executive company where the load is spread across lots more people who have ownership over certain areas. So initially, I think it will be different, but that the load will start to get spread across more people. And I'm excited by the prospect of that. In some future state, yes, I don't, I, I, there would probably be a more like laid back me. But if for some reason I weren't doing this tomorrow, I know exactly what business I would start tomorrow. It's in the travel sector. That's the next job. It's all ready to go in my head. There's, there's no way in the world that I wouldn't start that business, even though I know how horrible some elements of running a business can be, I would still be driven to professionally try and achieve that. And this is, uh, it's just, I think it's just a state of mind. Um, of personal advancement and that's what I would go ahead and do however there is also this future version of me that is able to kick back and relax and maybe enjoy some of it but I wouldn't kick back and relax by doing nothing I would want to have a woodworking shop and I would want to live in the Alps that's because I just love skiing so the thing that really motivates me is is a future of exhaustion but from skiing rather than exhaustion <laughs> and 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 seeing my kids skiing with their family so there's 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 not a material future it's just the ability to be able to do that would be uh, everything i would strive for but many many moons away yet probably i love your framing of uh, i think it's absolutely the truth about anyone who's a startup founder is that you just be exhausted in a different way uh, i think that's, yeah. an all, that's an awesome framing of it and i don't think you'd you know the reality of the situation is that you are probably doing this because you are that sort of person as much as anything else right so yeah but yeah you asked me the question about having a patient spouse i met my wife at university she's the most maternal person i've ever met in my life her like way with children and with our children and the, just the amount of love that she can have for her family is just off the charts. There are many moments in every week where she's having to do very solo parenting of four kids from the age of four up to 10. That is really not easy. And I'm putting her in that situation and have been putting her in that situation for a long period of time now because I've been a bit powerless to change it frankly she never ever ever makes me feel bad about that 
and and she's exhausted like she should be because she's human i just I, I can't i don't know really what goes through her head in in how much latitude she enables the family to have whilst it all keeps going but there's not a chance in the world that I could be doing this without the support of my wife. And, you know, there'll be people listening to this that are maybe expecting this to be a tale of like how one single dad has managed to do this. And, and I'm not one of those and I can't pretend to know what that must be like. I just know that I couldn't possibly achieve it without a very, very patient second better half. Yeah. No way. It's an entire family, <laughs> a full body, full family affair having a startup, yeah. isn't it? So, yeah. Can, can I give you a short a short story, just just yeah, to yeah. show quite how patient this wonderful woman has been? When we were having our first child, I only just got my wife to hospital in time. the The baby was almost born in the car. Oh wow! Um, it was very hairy, very dicey. Then second and third were sort of less stressful than that. The fourth, and I'm, I'm not kidding here, so, so I'd started the startup by then. When my wife was in labour with our fourth, and I, I'm just going to say this because I'm going to be honest, but it, it sounds awful in my head before I've even said it. I was sat by her side with a laptop on my knee oh until really only a few minutes before the baby was born. Wow. Because what I, I deemed what I was doing to be important enough to be doing that. And... Because she, my wife had been through it three times, like, and it was, it was I mean, obviously, <laughs> it was, still your first it was childbirth. <laughs> it was childbirth, but it was incredibly painful childbirth. But because she just was, couldn't wait to see that baby, she managed to get through it incredibly, unbelievably, you know, like, well, with great accomplish. So when it was the fourth, I was, I was like, this is my first startup, and this is the fourth baby. So I'm sitting here with you a got this right. <laughs> Oh, it's just it's just fundamentally wrong. And do you know what the even worse bit was? When I did stand up, I hadn't eaten for ages and I fainted and the medical staff had to deal with deal me with for you. five minutes before they could go back to her. How <laughs> pathetic is that? That's it's just it's not it's not it's it's sort of funny, but when I think about it, I'm I'm sort of disgusted with myself for that being the reality. But then after the baby had been born, all night I was sitting I was doing our supplier invoices on my knee for about six hours whilst my wife was sleeping in the bed and we had a, a tiny little baby in the little crib. But that's just what I was doing because I deemed it to be important enough to be doing that at that moment in time. And that's exactly that that sort of story. I've heard from other people as well. Oh, yeah. And if you're thinking about starting a business and you're wondering whether it will impact you or not, th this is coming from a guy who really now hates the thought of what I've just said, but that will happen to you, I guarantee it. You'll get into your head that it's that important that you'll be doing it, even in that sort of situation. I can tell you right now that is a new entry at number one of the most interesting startup dad story we've, we've ever had. <sighs> <laughs> so yeah congrats and yeah your wife is an absolute hero she is it's amazing how things you know things do become important and sometimes i, I you know i don't know i'm sure you feel this sometimes candidly i'm irritated with myself because things aren't as important as i think they are but it, it's yeah. really difficult it's really difficult to keep in that frame of mind and you your phrase about the residue mm. that kind of sits on you right from day in yeah. day out managing that I, you know i think i suppose we're probably both 
showing ourselves to be people who aren't particularly great at it. I, I do occasionally, and we interview them from time to time on the show, meet fans who look like, and, and, and who do probably, not look like, have their really shit together when it comes to that sort of level of framing. But I think that's a very difficult thing. And maybe they are slightly more experienced founders and they've been through, you know, the highs and lows a little bit, certainly in the early stages. Probably, yeah. I think when you do your first one, you tend to overestimate the importance of everything. Overestimate the impact, good and bad. Actually, I I had a great piece of advice from an investor. It's, It's actually a thing that helps you to survive really many, many of the problems that you'll encounter is that nothing is ever as good or as bad as it first seems. So the, this big shiny partnership that looks like it's going to be life-changing is never that. But also this big horrible problem that looks like it's going to kill you is almost never that either. So once you get that into your mind and you've been through a few things, then you look back on them and think, actually, that seemed existential at the time. But now look at us. It was actually hardly a blip. You do realise you can start to see them a little bit more as they come up rather than only in hindsight. Uh, for sure. And, you know, one thing, it's funny you say this because I've been going through this. HX has been scaling. Again, it, not by most people's standards, anywhere near this level of scale that you hear from some startups. But, you know, we've probably tripled in size in the uh, last year because we're post-Series A now. And one of the things I've had to consciously do, candidly, is work on the threshold of event that causes me stress. Because yeah. if you keep that the same and your business grows, all you do is increase the proportion of time you spend feeling stressed as fuck, quite frankly. That's and, you know, a you, good way of you looking have at to. it. Yeah. You have to. Otherwise, you just run out of energy to feel anything. Yeah. You know? And it's hard to do. It's hard to do. I think you're probably describing the same thing that I was describing, but better because you've got further, which is that you're, the, the thing that can stress you out needs to scale as you scale. I'm only just getting to the point where things that used to feel really big don't feel quite so big anymore yeah awesome that has been an, a really special episode paul really different i've really enjoyed that thank you so much for coming on the show sharing your your uh honest truths quite frankly i hope we've not put too many potential founders off setting up a startup yeah it is thr- it is thrilling one day out of a hundred yeah so go for it. <laughs> yeah that's it it's the power law distribution of thrills as the the, yeah. the investors would like to say that's it Paul, before we go, we wrap up the show with our startup shout-outs, where we shine a light on a startup product, people in the startup world that we admire. Startup shout-outs. I have a couple of them. The first one is when looking for inspiration in the really early days about what it's going to be like to start a startup. There are some really great pieces of content out there from you know places like Y Combinator, etc. But the one that talks about scaling up in the way and and is a you know a billionaire but who seems to be so down to earth and and really I just find him really engaging is Reed Hoffman. So from a like big picture perspective, my kind of the person I would aspire to to be would be like a Reed Hoffman type. He just seems like a really great person the but you know boots on the ground in terms of like products since home working has become a thing i can't write on whiteboards anymore it was my thing everyone took the mickey out of me for it but it's meant that half of the way i communicate has been taken away from me until i discovered miro and i just love miro boards so the 
the product that is the product that I think is one of the best products out there in terms of its execution is Miro. It's made my life a lot easier in uh, in communication. Um, so I'll go for that. That's an absolutely great shout out. We're huge fans of Miro HX. And as you say, yeah, it, it is, you know, it's one of those things I don't know about you, but quite frankly, like you, I was a big whiteboard fan and I couldn't see it being replaced. And then Miro's come along and quite frankly, we're just at HX going to buy a fancy big screen to have Miro boards in the office now because they're that oh, really? great. Yeah. They are great. And it's a piece of software I can use to make things visually look a lot because also I have horrible handwriting. So it's made my visually unappealing former self a lot better at communicating information so yeah big shout out to Miro makes makes my life a lot easier wicked well look Paul that's been an absolutely epic episode thanks so much for coming on the show how can we find out a little bit more about you and what you're doing what Hug's doing yeah sure um so Hug is spelled with three G's we couldn't trademark it with fewer. That was the reality. There's nothing fun about that. Um, hug with three G's dot me dot M E. There's another life lesson. Never get a Montenegro domain name. Almost no <laughs> firewall likes it. <laughs> Sounds great, but company firewalls hate it when we email them from hug dot me. Uh-huh. So we've had to spend five grand on hug dot com. Um, so yeah, hug dot me. You can find us there. Um, sign up, send some gifts to people make them smile you can do it in minutes perfect i think it's a perfect pre-christmas warm-up so again paul thank you so much for coming on the show really really enjoyed our conversation you're welcome thanks for the invite many thanks to today's guest you'll find links to them and their work in the show notes it would really help us if you shared the show with a friend or colleague so if you know someone who might find this podcast valuable please pass it on to them if you'd like to connect with me reach out on twitter at startup dad's pod 